my friend. Welcome to another episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. I am your host, best-selling author, Sylvester McNutt III, author of Care Package, Free Your Energy, and other titles. This episode here, I'm so grateful that I was able to bring on Mr. Donnie Starkins, king of the comeback story. You know, I first want to thank Donnie for his share, for his story, for his vulnerability, for honestly finding his voice and believing in what he's doing. That in itself to me is a victory. To believe in what you're doing, to believe in the work that you're doing. You know, I had a a podcast episode, I think it was called Day 94 or Day 83, something like that. Uh, as I'm exploring the journey of sobriety. Uh, And I met Mr. Donnie Starkins through another podcast guest, Dr. Amy Shaw. I'm sure you guys remember that episode of the podcast with Dr. Amy Shaw. We were talking about fasting and the circadian rhythm and, you know, just trying to bring our bodies into alignment. And so just staying in touch with her, I said, hey, I would love if you could connect me to someone that I should, should talk to, someone I should bring on the podcast. And she goes, oh, yeah, I have the I have the perfect person for you. It's Mr. Donnie Starkins. You have to talk to him. You guys not, you, you guys have to know each other. You have to connect. I said, OK, no, say, say no more. Like, let's make it happen. Donnie listened to that podcast, uh, I think day 83 or day 94, where I was talking about my deep dive here into this sober, curious world that I'm living in. And he reached out and he texted and he said, hey, I just want you to know. Uh, I listen to your podcast and that's a big deal. And I'm, I'm proud of you. You know, and if you ever need support, I'm here for you. Just let me know. Now, at the time of that text message, I actually hadn't met Donnie in the, in the flesh yet. And I looked at that text with so much warmth and gratitude, like, wow, thank you. Like, like, thank you. And you'll find out in this podcast episode that Donnie's actually been sober for eight years. Eight years. And when I say sober, you know what? I'm not going to ruin it for you. You just have to listen to find out. You're just going to have to listen to find out. Uh, Now, here's the deal. Last week, I did a workshop called How to Stop People Pleasing. Um, Either today or yesterday, depending on when this podcast comes out, I'm going to be doing a a workshop called Boundaries, Using Boundaries to Get Your Goals, Using Boundaries to Get Me to My Goals. And we're going to be talking about success. We're going to be talking about motivation. We're going to be talking about building, creating. We're going to be talking about saying no to the stuff that's keeping you out of your highest vibration. I want you to reach your goals. Part of freeing your energy is being able to use that energy for what you want. And if you have goals, if you have dreams, if you have passions, you need to come on in to the Build Your Boundaries course. If you missed last week and you missed the people pleasing, uh, you'll be able to get all those files because we, we recorded them. We got them edited. We're adding them to the Build Your Boundaries course. And then our workshop here on using boundaries to get to your goals, because that's what's going to get you there. That's what's going to get you to your goals is you have to have boundaries. You have to have discipline. You have to be able to say, no, I'm not doing that. Or yes, this is this is what I'm saying yes to. Saying yes is also a boundary. This is what I'm saying yes to. This is the lifestyle I'm saying yes to. This is the energy I'm saying yes to. These are the type of people I'm saying yes to. Go to buildyourboundaries.net and get your seat. If you miss both the workshops, and by the time you hear this, let's say this is way in the future, and you're saying to yourself, well, damn, I want I want both of those. I want that boundaries course. You can get the course. Buildyourboundaries.net. You'll get both of the, the content from the workshops plus everything else. I've been building this course for a full year. I've been dropping content in this course for a full year. We talk about boundaries in relationships, boundaries in family, boundaries with self. We talk about the communication model. I teach in there. I teach the communication model because most people don't understand the communication model. And as soon as you understand the communication model, setting your boundaries, it's like 
it's almost like a night and day difference because then you understand like, oh, this is actually how communication is working. So this is how I can set my boundaries. Oh, without any further ado, I'm going to see you, see you guys at buildyourboundaries.net. Go get registered for that right now. And continue to listen to this episode of the Free Your Energy podcast with my guest, Donnie Starkins. A lot of the times we, because we're so obsessed with the hero's journey, we want to go back, right? We always want to go back. What I want you to do is tell me present day, what are you most proud of? present day in this moment and what theme, like what energetic theme do you feel running through your life in this moment? Um, so for me, it's, it's the man that I am today. It's, it's the man in the, I, I was telling my fiance this yesterday that I feel like I'm the best version of myself that I've ever been. And I've had a lot of mess ups along the way including my addiction, including just making bad decisions and all of it, I've been able to go back, dive in, do, do my own work, um, continue to stay in the work and release the residue because I know that it's that one weak link that can topple the whole thing. So I have to stay in the work, but to really be able to look back and some of the shame, the shame and the guilt from my past addiction um, and how I can use that today as my best asset and as a reminder that I always, always have to stay in the work. You know, in recovery, they talk about the, this feeling of neutrality. It's a promise in the 12 steps that says, you know, we will, the, the obsession of alcohol or using or whatever your addiction is um, will be lifted. And you can have this feeling of neutrality, but it's contingent on your spiritual condition. And the spiritual condition for me today involves waking up, thinking of the things I'm grateful for, making my bed, getting my coffee, doing my meditation, doing my readings, and uh, doing my journal, and moving my body. And, you know, throughout the day, I have some opportunities to be of service, but that sacred morning, um, it's a non-negotiable to me, is really the foundation of everything, because I just believe, like, everything is momentum. And I know, for me today, if I can win the morning, I can win the day. If I win the day, I can win the week. And it's just continuing to build that positive momentum. But that is me staying in fit spiritual condition. Okay. So what you just gave us is a tool. You gave us your morning routine, which is one of the tools that you use to get yourself energetically feeling like you're the best man that you've ever been in this present moment. So really quick, I just want to make sure you wake up, make your bed, Coffee, reading, move your body. Is that is that it? Can you can you give us the morning routine a little a little slower? Yeah, a little more detail. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We need we need that. Oh, yeah. it's so important. Life changing. It's it's changed my life completely. So I wake up before my feet hit the ground. I think of a few things I'm grateful for. So it's like that's win number one for me. My feet hit the ground. I make my bed. So it's win number two. So before I've done anything, those two things, and I do try to get up um, within the first 10 minutes of me getting up. So maybe room for one snooze, but that's it. And typically I get up at 5 a.m. So it's also trying to get up with the sun is important. But from there, coffee's got to be in the mix. I, I love my coffee. It's like what I look forward to the most some days. And then after my coffee, it's meditation, I have a few uh, books that I read, like daily reflection books that I read, and I do my journaling. And then the journaling, I'll start to write the things I'm grateful for, three things that would make today great, kind of a few things from that, the five-minute journal. And then I, um, my meditation is either it's just reflective or I'll do breath work in my meditation. And then within that first hour, I got to move my body, whether it's going to a, a fitness class, a yoga class, doing my own stuff at home. But really, those are the non-negotiables that need to be in place. And, and to be quite honest, if they're not, I'm, I'm a mess. Like, I'm not comfortable in my own skin. And so, yeah, that, that, that to me is what it's all about. It's the foundation of each day and ultimately the foundation of my life. 
from a time frame, how long does your morning routine usually take you to execute? So let's not include the workouts because those are going to be 45 minutes to an hour if I go to a workout, but the rest of it can be anywhere from 10 minutes to 30 minutes. Um, and I always say, if you're starting off and trying to get a morning routine, let it be just a couple minutes, like start small, let it feel attainable, like, like big enough to feel worthwhile, but also small enough to feel attainable. You know, there's days where like, there's my, I might have a little bit of a rush. I guess the other thing I did, forgot to mention is I do walk my dogs in the morning. And that is kind of a way to, to be of service, right? To, to be able to do something for somebody else. Um, but it's also me getting outside and not listening to anything, just kind of, you know, being being in nature, if you will, out here in, in Scottsdale, but just getting outside and walking the dogs. And that's that's the other piece that I forgot. Okay, it sounds like a beautiful morning routine because, you know, I've always had the mindset that, you know, you know, the computers in the 90s when you were trying to get on the Internet and it would take, you know, you got to contact the server, the computers boot up. And there's this whole long process before you could actually get on the internet. Well, I feel like our bodies are the same way. Like we need these systems, like these processes to boot up, to get ourselves, you know, get our energy flowing, get our mind right, to potentially clear energy from yesterday, if you will. So this morning routine that you have is perfect. It's like, it's perfect for that. What are some of the other practices that you present day have in your life that you feel like have you showing up as your best self? So the the most valuable tool I feel like the great life hack of, of just of life in general is is service. And if I look back at the core of my own addiction, well, it was all about selfishness and self-centeredness. It was all about me. I put everything else second before which my drug of choice was mainly prescription pills. That's really what had its grip on me. So it didn't matter. Like I would choose, I would do anything. I would go to any lengths to get those pills and, and put everybody, my family, the people that cared about me, all the worry and pain. It didn't matter. I didn't care that they, that they were worried. I was so in it. So really when, when we go through the recovery process and we do our work, we learn about service, which is the antidote of selfishness and self-centeredness which is also the quickest way to get out of a funk, you know, or if you're in self-pity is just go help someone else. Cause then you're not thinking about yourself. So service is such a key part to it. Um, I have a men's group, uh, men's recovery group. It's not AA or like 12 step based. We kind of created our own and I, I run the meeting in a sense. And we just, we, the meeting starts and we talk about one good thing that's happening, one good thing or, and one thing we're struggling with. And then we'll dive into like a daily reading We'll do a, I'll take everybody through a, a guided meditation or just a silent meditation. And then we dive into literature. So we just finished up the, the four agreements and now we're reading the power of awareness. So we'll read, we'll just share eight men sitting around taking turns reading, and then we share on the reading. And that's, that's our hour. That piece of it, the men that I've found that I have in my life today, um, the, the most meaningful relationships ever. And it's such a vital part of my own path and my own, not even just like physical sobriety, but emotional sobriety. The mm. best dude, the best dudes who are in your corner, but will also call you out on your stuff and point, point out your blind spots. Um, if, if you have them and those are the people that I want in my corner. So yeah, service is a huge piece of it. Um, yoga is a huge piece of my my foundation. I teach yoga and I also practice um, often. And then family. My whole family lives here in Scottsdale. I'm very blessed that we live in about a 15 mile radius of each other. And so just making sure that I'm taking time to connect with family is another key piece. When you mentioned the, and I know this is a sensitive topic, uh, but I know you're very comfortable speaking on it. I would love to know more with the, the pills when you were addicted to pills. Like, what, what was that like? What was that experience like? How, where, where was it born from? Great, great question. Um, it was the most vicious cycle ever. It was the biggest mind F you could imagine. 
Um, but it's rooted back. So I played college baseball my whole life. I played baseball growing up. I played sports, but baseball was my identity. That was my thing. I played all the way up until my senior year at Arizona State University and 15 games into my senior year, I had what was my fifth surgery on my left knee. And it was a massive traumatic surgery. It was a cadaver transplant of my meniscus in my knee. And I was the first person to ever have this surgery, but the doctor assured me that if it all went well, it would be like having a new knee and I might be able to play baseball again. But the day I woke up from that surgery, I knew baseball was over for me. Just from the, the massive signs and scars of the trauma in my leg to the, the unbearable pain, I knew, I knew it was over. And from that day and for many years after, that's where my world got turned upside down from the life of an addiction Prescription pills, I did other drugs too, but that is really what had its grip on me. I drank, but alcohol didn't really have a grip on me like these pills did. And so that went on for a while until my life got so bad that I ended up in rehab. And when I got into rehab, I genuinely was getting very, very curious on what the hell happened to my life. Going from this baseball player star, that was my identity, to now a drug addict. Like, where did it all go wrong? And when I <clears throat> dove in, and this was the journey into personal development going into treatment and starting to work on yourself and getting therapy and having my therapist start to connect all the dots, which was like mind blowing to me. And what it all was rooted in is that my purpose was baseball. It's all I ever knew. And in one day it was completely gone. The love of my life, everything I knew wrapped up, my identity was in it, completely gone. So I didn't wanna feel the emotional pain of mm -hmm. the loss of my purpose. So I numbed it every single day for many years by popping the pills. And that is the core of everything for me. <clears throat> and what, what that, thank you for sharing, first of all, what that young boy needed was he needed to be allowed to grieve. And he needed, to, so he needed someone to teach him how to properly grieve. Do you feel like you've learned how to grieve uh, in present day? Yes. Yes, I definitely have. I'm definitely still learning that process. And I think I have a lot more to learn because I've been blessed to not really have any deep, deep traumatic loss in my life. I've lost some very close friends to addiction, um, but I feel like what's more painful than losing the friends are the friends and families that get left behind when their loved one dies from the disease of addiction or, or suicide. That is what breaks my heart more than anything. So to answer your question, yes, but I know I have work to do and it's coming. It's inevitable. I was listening to your podcast and you had a solo episode you did uh, where you were talking, you were celebrating your eight year, eight year mark. I think it was, was it May 5th? Was that the day? Yeah. Cinco de yeah. So May 5th, eight years. Uh, what does it feel like? What has it been like? Like, how does it feel that, to know that you've made it, you know, eight, eight years? It's freedom. Freedom is the word. I ha actually have this word just, uh, it's written on a white stone this word runs so deep to me and being that it was just 4th of July, like that, you know, I talked on that, on that topic of freedom and I believe it's not freedom for ourselves, but freedom from ourselves and getting it, getting out of our own way. And I was so hooked every single day, waking up the moment that I woke up in the morning, I would feel the anxiety. I would feel the fear. The heart was racing. My hands were shaking and I would wake up pop my pills because you wake up on an empty stomach. Like I wouldn't think about going to eat breakfast or take a shower. There was zero, there was a morning routine, but the morning routine was wake up and pop pills. So that mm. 20 minutes later, the pills would cut, would kick in and it would just be like a, it's kind of like what a deep breath will do for me today. That's what the pills would do. And I could just, I, it wasn't about getting high or getting messed up. It was about feeling normal. And so that I would feel normal for about an hour and then they would start to, to wear off. And then the anxiety would start, the fear would start to kick in again. And then the cycle would continue just like the mental obsession was, it was, I was so hijacked by it um, that you can see it. I put everything else um, second and made sure I would go to any lengths 
to get these pills. So if it wasn't pain pills, which I could get whatever I wanted from doctors because I'd had all these massive surgeries. And the story I told myself early was, they're coming from a doctor. It's okay. Right. That was my justification, but it didn't matter because I would get a month's prescription and they would be gone in like five days. And so like, and then I would have a psychologist or a psychiatrist that would um, prescribe me the, the Xanax and the Valium. So I'm just like bouncing back and forth, but it was never enough. It was never enough. So, you know, I would end up just like reaching out to friends, knowing other people that had them and buying them, right. And spending all my money on them. And it was just, that's not freedom. In, the, in recovery, we talk about that we don't regret the past, but we also don't shut the door on it. And I, I want to remember it because part of my story is that I had three years sobriety and I ended up going back out. And I, I always tell that part of my story. It is the, the, the most crucial and the most important thing that ever happened to me because it's my reminder that the work will never stop. I stopped doing the work three years. I was three years sober. I hurt my right knee actually playing in a sober softball league. But a couple months before that, I like straight away and I stopped being of service and stopped going to meetings and, and stopped um, the connection with my, my sober men. And I got picked off. I had a, I had a minor surgery on my knee. I woke up from the surgery and I loved the way that I felt. And six days later, I was back at the doctor's office lying about the pain and got my next um, prescription. So that went on for like six to eight months or so. And um, and then I ended up on May 5th, 2013, had my brother drive me to a five-day detox. Because once I started, I'm like, I will not be able to stop on my own again. There's no way. W once I took that first one. So I knew I, and I, nothing like crazy bad happened to me on this, in that relapse, but I spiritually, like after having three years, I just knew, but I, but I didn't want to stop. I was so scared. And so May 5th was a day, like, I'm like, I'll remember the fifth, fifth was my, was my football number in high school. I kind of liked the number five. I'm going to, on May 5th, I'm going to have my brother drive me down there. And he drove me down to this detox, went in five days and then came out and went all in on the program again. And and now here we are eight years later, but that, that is so important. Not in the beginning. I was pretty buried in the guilt and the shame, like having three years and now having to start all over again. But today, best thing that ever happened to me for sure, because regardless of its sobriety work, like I will always have work to do. And today the work has become a labor of love and the labor of love is like a lifestyle. This is just like what I do because I want to be free. Why do you feel why do you feel so called to share this story and to, and, and to be so vulnerable and so open and so real about what you've experienced? Why do you feel called to share? I love your questions. Um, so I feel for me personally because it's you know an AANA, it's anonymous, right? Like it's part of the people don't want to share your story. So I was sitting in a yoga class at a yoga festival um, in Aspen, Colorado. And one of my teachers, she's now my close friend, Sean Korn. She's a, she's a legend in the yoga world. And, and I hate to say the real yoga, but I'm talking about mind, body, soul, not Instagram yoga, but like yoga and yoga off the mat service, right? She has this organization called off the mat into the world. So I was so moved by her first class. And she said the words in this class, how dare we not? When she said those words to me, the first time she said them, it was, how, how dare I not? How dare I not teach more than just the physical yoga practice? I live here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and a lot of people on the outside look like they have it all together, look like they, they have everything. But I knew because I'm talking to these people that they're dying on the inside. So I'm so inspired by her. I end up going to her five-day leadership training a month later, and she has us in lizard pose and yoga, and that's like a deep hip opener. And, you know, our hips are like a lifetime for, or like a junk drawer for a lifetime of stuff that we just hold on to. It's one of the darkest corners of our body. And she's like just talking, and she says those words again, how dare we not, or how dare we not. And for me this time, it was how dare I not share my story. How dare I not? I've been building this little yoga thing, this following, but but not everybody knows my deal. The people closest to me do, but not everybody. 
So we were tasked with going into back into our communities and creating a service project. And I created something called Sunday Yoga Service. It was a monthly thing we did at some of the resorts around here in Scottsdale and Paradise Valley. And on the first um, event, I shared my story. And from that day, everything completely changed. It's so wild. I found my voice. I was humanized as a teacher for whatever reason, people might put teachers or um, coaches or, you know, on a pedestal and it humanized me and made me, and made me relatable to my students where I started getting these messages of like, thank you so much for what you shared. My husband just died of alcoholism a month ago. And your message really, you know, like hit me in the heart and those messages just kept coming. And so for me, that feeling and, and really what it did more than anything and why it's so important. I was just thinking about this last week at a festival I was presenting that, that I did a lot of shameful things. And there was a lot of like the pain, just the pain and worry I put my family through alone. And every time I talk about it, the shame goes away because someone will say, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being so vulnerable. That's not vulnerable to me today. Standing on stage is still a little vulnerable. But talking about my story is not. But I understand that it reminds it. It gives people permission, and it and it also hijacks or bankrupts their own story of like I'm alone, nobody understands. No, I like that's where I was at my rock bottom. Doctor screwed me over. Parents are out to get me. Nobody understands. There was plenty of people that understood. So if I can share that and I can carry that message to remind people that you're not alone, you can't do this alone and you're never alone. That's, I think, what um, it gives me purpose. But selfishly, it also removes the shame and the guilt. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with doing something in service that, you know, serves you and serves others. Like, there's nothing wrong with win-win-win situations. (laughs) Like we need more of those actually. We need more everybody win situations. So it's just beautiful to hear your passion behind not only the story, but then also the transformation, you know, you went through and the full embracing of your old self. You know, what I'm curious too is to know is like forgiveness. You know, what's your relationship like with forgiveness? Were you able to forgive yourself or, or, or parents or doctors or the journey? Is there still more there for you? I'm curious to know. That's the beauty of the 12 steps. And I know not everybody resonates with the 12 steps, um, but there's a, there's a design for living that works. And I look at those 12 steps and I, and I think sometimes like um, everybody could use these. It's not just about freedom from alcohol or drugs. Again, it's freedom from the shame, the resentment, the guilt, all of the things that weigh us down and get in the way of us thriving. Um, so in the eighth and ninth step, it's all about amends. We're, we're making our amends. We're taking action on those. And I remember in rehab looking up at, because a lot of times those steps are like on the walls and you can see them everywhere and looking at those steps and being like, dang, that's going to be scary having to make amends. But the steps are in order for a reason. And by the time I got to that step, I was ready because I wanted to be free. And what I understood about making amends and forgiveness, it's not even for the other person. It's actually for you. And you make that amends and you detach from the outcome because some people might not receive it. Doesn't matter though. You're doing it for you so you can be free and know that you were willing to make those amends. All you have to do is be willing to make them. And sometimes they might take a little while. Some you might not be able to ever make but you can make a living amends in other ways. And that to me is one of my whys today. One of my big whys is, is I want to be, I think about like my mom, she comes to mind often because it's like what it would have been like for her to have to wake up every single day knowing she lost her baby boy. Like I overdosed once I I could, I, I very well could not be here. And to think about that and to think about the pain she would be in every single day. And then also all the pain and worry that I put her and my dad and my whole family and friends through. So my why today is to, to make a living amends and be the best son and be the best friend and uncle and brother um, that I, and, and, and fiance that I can be today. And it's, it's like attaching meaning to the past and to the shame and learning and growing from it and finding freedom by just living it every single day. 
So yeah, the, the self-forgiveness piece, it, there's still a little shame there. I'll go back every once in a while and start to kind of go down that road. But I think the more that I get into action, the more I have conversations like I'm having with you right now, that stuff, there's, there's not even room for that. But when there is room, I think it's there to teach me, right? It's there to teach me that every, every interaction that I have, I, I know I have somebody's heart in my hands and I can have an opportunity to really make an impact and I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody ever again. And I know I'm human and I probably will, but, you know, it really keeps me focused on love and service. Um, and, and that's what keeps me out of my own way. So talk to me about combat stories. Oh, yeah. Man, that's been a fun mission. So Darren Waller and myself, Darren, if you don't know his name, he is a Pro Bowl tight end for the Las Vegas Raiders. So I came to know Darren. I was uh, lying in bed watching HBO Hard Knocks a few years ago. That's their uh, behind-the-scenes documentary. They pick an NFL team every year. And it was uh, back then, I think it was two years ago, it was the Oakland Raiders. Or maybe they were just moving to Vegas. <clears throat> um, and they, they highlighted this guy, Darren Waller. Darren hadn't played much before because he basically almost – got kicked out of the league because well, he did get kicked out of the league, but almost permanently got kicked out of the league because he failed so many drug tests due to his own addiction. And so they highlight him. They, they, and they, he's talking about his addiction and his recovery now. And they show him going to a meeting, not actually going into a meeting, but like the process of going to a meeting. I'm like, this is my dude. Like that's, that's what I did on a way, way smaller stage. Right. But now he's talking about it and I'm like, I've got to connect this. I've got to connect with him. And we ended up connecting and um, I do mindset and personal development coaching and work with quite a few athletes and reached out to him before he had kind of the following he does now. And he was, he was down and we started coaching, started working together. And then um, last year, about this time, we kind of had this vision of, creating this podcast called Comeback Stories. And it's not just recovery-based. It's it's all walks of life because we believe that everybody has a comeback story within them. And everybody loves to hear a good comeback story. So we started it in, I think our first episode was in um, February, in the beginning of February. And we've been rocking since, pumping out podcasts once once a week with just sharing all walks of life, sharing, sharing their comeback. What's one of the recent stories that, you've heard that is staying with you oh recent story of our guests um so we recently had nick santantanasso on nick is basically has no limbs he's got like a half of an arm maybe and in his podcast i mean you know you talk about perspective and attitude and gratitude I mean, this guy is so dialed in and there's there's no excuses. There actually never has been any excuses. And he just, it, even in the beginning, he talked about his parents, how his parents shaped that mindset and didn't allow him to make excuses. And he had to kind of figure everything out and how that, where, where that's gotten him today. I mean, he's a very sought out uh, motivational speaker and just crushing it in life. And just to think like, you know, no matter what you're going through, there's always something to be grateful for. And then you see you see people like him who could could have every excuse in the world and doesn't make any excuses. So that was the most recent one, and he just really rocked me in a good way. And I'm just grateful to have guys like him on our on our show. I mean, the, the man's the man. I just strongly believe. One of the most healing components that's available to us as community. To be able to be witnessed in a community, like you say, you guys are meeting once a week. To be able to have those tough shares, like, man, this, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. Or, or even the big victories. Man, we did this. I'm so happy with this. I'm so proud of that. That is what humanity is really about. How did you get the idea of, I need to create a men's group, I need to host this group? How did, you, how did that come to you? So really it's from just 12-step meetings in general because I've seen the power of those. And I don't necessarily resonate with all 12-step meetings or programs or the people in the programs, but I've been 
taught to look for the similarities and not the differences. Because if you're in there in a place of judgment and you're judging somebody else, then you're not really listening. You can't be listening and judging at the same time. So it really comes from just 12-step meetings. And my whole time in sobriety, I've basically only gone to men's meetings. In 12 steps, they have men's meetings, they have mixed meetings, they have closed meetings. So there's different options. But I just wanted to bring a little bit more of, I mean, again, kind of selfishly, what what resonates with me, which added to that is meditation and um, talking about the positive, like talking about one good thing, one good thing and one thing we're struggling with. That's typically what I do with my coaching clients on the beginning of our calls, always starting with the good because we're so used to not starting with the good. Um, but then also bringing in literature. There's so many good books. I mean, you've you've you, you've written a few yourself, right? There's like there's so much information out there. And so to be able to like, I just think it's so cool, like a, a, a bunch of men sitting around taking turns reading and, and then sharing and sharing our stuff and sharing what we're afraid of and even leaving some space at the end to give, give each other some feedback. Like if we continue to hear the same patterns, if someone keeps bringing up something and they don't realize that they're kind of stuck in it. You know, I've had multiple times where my men in the meeting were like, it sounds like you're really grounded in fear right now. And I, and I, I didn't see it at the time, but they could see it. And I, I'm just so grateful for that. I'm grateful for those conversations. I mean, even the conversations I get to have with Darren on the podcast, I mean, you've got from the world's perspective, the, the, the masculine of all masculine, an NFL football player. And, and what we talk about, we're not ever talking about football on there. We're talking about self-love, loving ourselves, right? We're talking about our fears. We're talking about self-sabotage. Um, we're talking about our struggles. Like to me, those are the types of conversations like this one we're having right now. It's really all I want in my life. So when I have a surface level conversation, I'm like, I, I don't, I don't want to do it. Right. And it's, it's, it's kind of my, my, um, my awareness to say like, if, if this is somebody that's in my life and all we're having is surface level conversations then maybe this person shouldn't be in my life because I want to go deep. Yeah. A lot of times with men, our engagement is, Bulls, um, basketball, you know, Bulls, the ball games and, and women. And it's just like, come on, man, there's so much more. There's so much more. This life is so rich. There's so much more to talk about besides those things. You know, and I, of course, like, obviously, we all want partnerships. We're talking about partnership makes sense, you know. I, I was uh, very, very young. And I found myself out of alignment with a lot of men just because the conversations were, I felt like were shallow. And so I remember asking myself like, okay, well, what are you going to do? Either you're going to not talk to people <laughs> or you're going to call them into the conversations you want to have. Man, when I made that decision to call myself and to call other people into the conversations that like really stir up my soul, my whole life changed. Oh, my whole life changed. Talk to me about some of the boundaries you have in your life because you clearly have clear boundaries about things you're not okay with, things you're not going to do, things, you know, a way you won't spend your time. So talk to me about some of the boundaries you have in your life. Yeah, I'm glad you're bringing that up. That's a topic that I am in the work of. I've got my work to do around boundaries. I believe that it's all with that saying, uh, we teach people how to treat us. Right. That's to me, that's the essence of boundaries. And I think I used to feel really bad for um, having to set boundaries. Um, I, you know, but when, once I realized that what boundaries really are or are what you're what you're willing and not willing to compromise on. So it's that 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 line in the sand. But before I could identify what those boundaries were, I needed to understand what my core values were, because I think the mm -hmm. boundaries when your core values are getting stepped on a boundary is getting crossed, right? So if I, if one of my, if I value authenticity and some fake ass person comes into my, in my world, I know I can move forward with this relationship, but my value is about to get upended. My boundary is going to get stepped on if I move forward. So authenticity is, it's so important to me. And I just think I was a, I wasn't an authentic person when I was in my addiction. I, how could I be? I wasn't even comfortable in my own skin. 
So I, that's just a strong one for me today. Relationships, relationships is another core value, like deep, deep, meaningful relationships, right? So I don't, it's, it kind of ties back to authenticity where I just don't want to have, I want to tr- have trust. I want to have open heart, open hearted men. I want to have open hearted conversations with people where if, if you're being fake or dishonesty, you know, that's just another huge one where that's just not gonna, I can't tolerate that. Now I have to tolerate it a little bit with in the world of recovery, because when I'm helping somebody get sober, I mean, the biggest struggle is getting honest because we've been living a lie and we've probably been telling many lies. So I always talk about the acronym, how honesty, open-minded and willing, which I also got from 12 steps, but I also use for all my coaches, my coaching clients, I always say like, if you go all in on getting honest, first, you got to get honest with yourself, but you also got to get honest with one other person. And that's why sponsorship really works well in in 12 steps. You got to, you're only as sick as your secrets. So you got to share it. You got to find someone that you can share your stuff with. And as you do that, it it, it removes that power from you. So getting honest, being open-minded, just being open-minded to taking suggestions and then being willing. And to me, that word willingness, willingness equals freedom. The more willing I am to do the work, the more willing I am to go to help someone else, the more willing I am to do my morning routines and take direction, the more free I can be. So yeah, I think I kind of went went a little bit off track there, but I think that that acronym, right? Honesty, open-minded willingness, you go all in on that in life and you can have a freedom that you never knew was possible. And I think that's the path, that's the path I want. And it just, it comes back to that freedom, that word freedom, where if I make decisions that are going to, it's like the four agreements, we just dug into that, right? Be, in, be impeccable with your word, where you were talking about earlier, when guy, when you're around guys and they're talking about women and they're, you know, kind of just um, putting out this like false, um, this false idea of masculinity, and to me, that's you're actually using your word against yourself because if you believe in karma, what you put out comes back to you. So every word matters. Being impeccable with your word and using the word to guide you through to, to truth and love and not like this fake, this fake person that's trying to be trying to be cool by talking or or um, diminishing women, you know. You mentioned sponsorship. Uh, I've heard the phrase and I'm sure many people have. Tell us exactly what it means in recovery to be sponsored or to have sponsorship. Yeah. So it's basically like you, maybe you like, like a mentor, but in sponsorship, this is the person that would take you through the 12 steps and walk you through each step. And typically, you know, in the big book in Alcoholics Anonymous big book, it kind of guides you through those 12 steps. Um, And, and, it's going to be your person that you're checking in with. It's kind of like that, that um, person that's going to keep you accountable. So typically if someone's, if, if someone's saying they want to get sober and they want to sponsor, I would say, are you willing to go to any lengths to get sober? If they say yes. I'll be like, okay, I got you now just check in, call me every day for the next 90 days. Right? So now it becomes a program of action for the person wanting to get sober right there. Now they're starting to do their work <clears throat> and then they'll take them through. And like, again, in, in the fourth step where we identify your own resentments and you look at your fears. And a lot of this is like where you have to start to get honest and you have to share, you have to share it with somebody to be able to really free yourself from it. So a sponsor, a sponsor is going to keep you accountable, support you with love, um, take you to meetings it, it, you know, if you're living in the same city, but in a sense, it's basically like your mentor in your process of recovery. Is that the person that you, you're triggered by something and you want to have a drink? Let's just say, you know, you're trying to stop drinking. Is that the first direct person you contact as your sponsor? Yeah, that would be the first person. But, you know, as your, your sponsor will also suggest Go, go reach out and connect with more guys. Or if you're a female, go connect with more females. Get, get numbers. So now you start to have this network of people, but it also comes back to, yeah. So like when you're going down one of those roads, now you have a pattern interrupt. You have something that you can do. You can reach out to another fellow 
alcoholic or a fellow addict. So it does become, again, just getting getting into the action. You know, in the big book, it talks about faith without works is dead. I think that's from the Bible too. Um, but it's all about it's all about the work. You got to be in the action. Nothing nothing is going to change. Nothing changes if nothing changes. What are you going to be? Excuse me. In a year from now, that version of you. What is he going to be most grateful for that this version of you is doing? I'm going to be most grateful for continuing to level up my life. I feel like I have something going with yoga and mindfulness and then this coaching thing. There's some sobriety there, but really using this platform and taking it to the, to the next level, having more speaking engagements. Darren and I are going to do a comeback story show. So an actual live show. So we, we envision comeback stories being a brand. It's starting to be a brand now, starting as a podcast, which will eventually be a book, but also to be able to do these live shows where we can have people like you come in and, and, and share your comebacks to a live audience. And of course, we would do it all for a cause, right? Darren, Darren's foundation is the Darren Waller Foundation. Mine is the Aftermath Community. So it would all be for a greater cause. But I think it's going to be me stepping up and really utilizing this platform to carry the message, but take it to a whole nother level. And at the same time, get out of my comfort zone and, and speak on larger stages to carry this message. Wow. I'm so happy for you. What will be in the next year or even in present moment, what's going to be your biggest resistance? Uh, fear of what other people think, you know, it's, it's really fear of looking bad. It's kind of that imposter syndrome, right? I think that that will come up often, even if I do have a, like a little speaking gig where it's just crazy early on when I was a yoga teacher, I was so worried about forgetting the sequencing, the sequencing in yoga, right? You do the right side, uh, a whole sequence of postures, and then you got to do the left side, but it needs to be the same as the right side. So like for the first year, because I was so, I cared so much, and I still do, but I'm way better, cared so much about what other people thought that I was like obsessively, I would write it on a little note card. It would be over by the music. So like, just in case I forgot, it would be over there. And like never, I always had it and obsessively thought about it. Nothing ever happened. And then like a year and a half into teaching, I forgot and nobody freaking cared. Nobody cared. And I was like, oh my God, I have been so concerned and so worried about this. Nobody even cared. So, so yeah, that, um, I just think it's, it's fear, fear of, of looking bad or messing up. Well, you got to do it though. You got to do it. Cause you, you just laid out a great blueprint. You gave me the, a, an amazing one year plan the, the show, like, I got to see it. I'm, I'm here to witness it. Thank you, brother. You can, you can keep me accountable for sure. I need that. <laughs> Last thing for today. When you hear the words, free your energy, what does that mean to you? I love, love, love the name of your podcast. I feel like the word free or like we've been talking about freedom and energy. Energy is everything. And so it's funny because I've listened to many of your podcasts and I've, I've forwarded on many of your podcasts to some of my coaching clients. Um, like the one, I think it was 83 days or the, or it was the one right before that, or maybe the one right after that, where you were talking about when you made, when you decided to make this choice that you actually reached out to all of your friends that you do drink with and told them the deal. I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. So, cause I got people that are newly in, and that's what they're worried about. How am I going to, how am I going to go on a date? How am I going to have this conversation? Because once again, they're worried about what everybody else thinks about them. So that was really meaningful. And the, the ego one was like, I think it was letting go of the ego was so powerful just for me. And in my own relationship, the examples you give, I was like going through the exact same thing at the same time. So um, I'm so grateful for that. And now I forgot the initial question you asked me. <laughs> what does the word free your energy mean to you? Yeah. So energy is everything. 
that morning routine, me moving my body, that's moving energy. Yoga is about moving energy. Stuck energy weighs the body down. And, mm-hmm. and it's like emotion, right? Emotion is energy in motion. And like uh, Trent Shelton told us on our, on our podcast, um, what we suppress turns into depression. So if we're not moving energy, and let's just say we have a negative thought or we have some, some trauma, some guilt, some shame, that's in our bodies, it's in our bodies. And so we have to, we have to, we have to free it. We have to move it. I believe that energy can't be destroyed, but it can be shifted. And so when it's stuck, it's heavy, it weighs the body down and it turns into literal disease. So when we can, we can move our bodies. That is to me, that's freedom. We're moving the stuck energy. We're shifting it. We're getting things to flow, which creates an energetic lightness instead of being weighed down um, and bur- by all just the burdens of the mind and all the stuff that we take on. So I think even just tying in meditation where all that arises with our thoughts. And so if our thoughts, be- are, the more that we think about like thoughts become things. So meditation is almost getting ahead of all of that because you're actually being able to notice the thoughts that are keeping you stuck. And in the noticing, you can then shift and, or you can let you can let those thoughts go, or you can reframe them and turn them into a positive thought or something more uplifting. So you know, I love I love the name of your podcast. My program is called the Shift, right? It's shifting energy. It's about transformation and not waiting for anybody else to change. We have to be the change because transformation happens from the inside out. And I think a lot of the world is is waiting for the right situation or re- waiting for the that person to change, but we have to be the change. Just like you mentioned earlier with the the men in your relationships, you were the change. You started to activate those conversations. So that would be the long winded answer. But um, again, I'm a huge fan of you and just a huge fan of of the name of your podcast because energy is everything, and freedom is what it's all about.